As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. We've been starting each of the messages in this new series with an open letter. And an open letter is written to a group of people that it's hoping to go viral so that it can address a particular concern or cause. This one today, it was written all the way back in 1836. It was written at the Alamo, and it was written by the commanding officer as a plea to the people of Texas and all the Americans throughout the world. He writes this. Fellow citizens and compatriots, I am besieged by a thousand or more of the Mexicans under Santa Ana. I have sustained a continual bombardment for 24 hours, and fortunately we have not lost a man. But the enemy has demanded a surrender at his discretion, otherwise the garrison are to be put to the sword if the fort is taken. I have answered the demand with a cannon shot, and our flag, it still waves proudly from the walls. I shall never surrender, we shall never retreat. Then I call on you in the name of liberty, of patriotism, and everything dear to the American character, please come to our aid with all dispatch. The enemy is receiving reinforcements daily and will no doubt increase to two or three, three or four thousand in four or five days. If this call, this letter, is neglected, I'm determined to sustain myself as long as possible and die like a soldier who never forgets what is due to his own honor and that of his country. Victory or death. William Barrett Travis, Lieutenant Colonel Commander at the Alamo. Well, as we know, history reveals that that this letter went unanswered, that it was ignored by the Americans and And so I've got a letter today that's written in the book of Revelation. It can't be ignored by the church. And just as the cry is to remember the Alamo as an American because they didn't compromise and they went full force, there's a cry in the church. The church of Pergamum is the cry to not surrender and to continue to be faithful even in the midst of compromise. That's where we're headed. If you haven't already, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter two. Good to be in church today? I'm telling you, it is. Thanks for you that are in the house. I wanna applaud you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for those that are joining us online. God is good. We had a good worship time. Wasn't that good? Come on, man. That was just awesome, I know. And. Um, It's just good to gather together, be at God's house with God's people for God's word. And so we're in a series. It's the seven letters to the seven churches. I'm going to read this letter. It's the church of Pergamum. It's the compromising church, dear compromising church. These are the ones that we're going through. You can see this is the third letter. We got four more to go. And so let me read what was written to them, which is written to us. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. 
yet you hold fast to my name and you do not deny my faith. Even the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I got this. I got a few things against you. You have some there who are holding to the teacher, teaching of Balaam, who taught that Balak was to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality, i.e. not good. Also, you have some who are holding the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans and therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon, and I'm going to wage war with the sword of my mouth. If he has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. Underline that. We're going to come to it. I will give a white stone. Underline that. We'll come back. And look at that white stone. It's got a name written on it that no one knows except the one who receives it. Father, I pray that this message would um, be a message to us as a church, as a whole, and it would be embraced as a message to us as individuals for the good of our faith, for the good of our families, for the, the good of what we want you to do in our individual lives. And, and so I'm just going to ask you give me, to give me energy and give me strength to connect with this group of people that have faithfully come to hear your word. I pray we'd have a special time during this service, a time of remembrance of who you are. And I pray you would do the things we can't as our heart's desire is to not compromise. That's our heart's desire, but Lord, we often fail. And so forgive us, help us, I pray. If you agree with that prayer, simply say amen. So each of the letters, if you're new with us, we're going to let you know that there's a format that's kind of followed, and some have all these things, like this one, others don't, so it's a good grid as you're reading through this. I like to start with the proclamation to proclaim, and so each of the letters has a proclamation. We're going to find something new about Jesus. But before we do that, let's look at the verse. And first, we've got to understand who it's written to. It says, to the angel of the church in Pergamum. Say that with me, Pergamum. I'm slipping up a couple times here. It's Pergamum. It's like M-U-M. And so verse 12, it says to the angel of the church, who's the angel? Well, the angel is the messenger. That's the Greek word, what it means. A messenger can be a heavenly messenger. We've been saying this each week, or an earthly messenger. Here, it's written to the angel of the church, who is it's an earthly messenger. It's the pastor. So this letter is written to Pastor Craig, who is, for today, an angel. He's an angel. I mean, that's who he is. He's a messenger, and he acts like an angel, too. He's just so good and perfect. And this letter, if it was going to St. Vincent, it would be written to the angel. My friend, Pastor Al Blake, is here in the house. Come on now, give it up. Did we introduce him? We introduced Al. And, and so now Al is an angel in a lot of ways. And he overshadows both Craig and me. But we're grateful to have him here in our presence. And just uh, he's getting some sabbatical time. So hopefully just even encourage him on your way out. And man, God's doing some awesome things through him. And they've been through so much in St. Vincent with the volcano and he's had some personal crisis with his family and, and man, but he's an angel declaring God's word. And, and so the church, not the one in St. Vincent, not the one in Naperville, not the one I just came from in Wheaton, the angel 
and the church writes to Pergamum. So this city will show the map. And so you could see this in your own Bible. If you flip back, there's probably a map in there. And, and, and what you could see is these are the seven churches, the cities that they were founded in. And, and this is the third one. And this is 20 miles inland. And so this is the heart moving into Asia. This, this, this is inland. It's almost like it's a, it's a very wealthy community. It's a rich community. Think, I don't know, north suburbs, Waukegan, those kind of places, you know, up there. It's like that's kind of what we're talking about. And, and, and so how did this church get started? Well, we don't know precisely, but our best guess as we read through Acts is that churches plant churches. So one of these churches planted this church, and they sent a group of people out. So the DNA of church planting was in the original, the church as it got started, it had the DNA of we've got to start other churches. That's why it's important to us. Good stuff? Church planning, I can tell I gotta grind in because you're not sure. I don't know if you're convinced. Church planning is the best way to spread the gospel. Certainly we share missionaries, send people out, but we love to send people to plant churches because that's what we see in the Bible and that's what we wanna do because it's the best way to reach this lost world. It's Jesus' way through the church. Got it? We've planted, over the last 22 years of our church, we've helped partner and plant over 180 churches that, that have planted over. Yeah, let's praise the Lord. I mean, it's an awesome thing. And, and over 180 churches, you say, well, are all those churches still around? Well, I'm happy to say yes, many of them are, a great percentage of them in the 90% range. But look, are any of these churches still? No. Churches have a lifespan. If, if we choose to compromise things, Jesus will leave the building. But, but just getting here in our context for a moment, I was so excited to find out that we've got 21 churches on deck to start next year. Is that amazing? Because of your generosity... Because of what you are doing here, we're partnering together through Limitless to plant 21 churches in the hubs that we have in Russia. We have a hub in Africa. And we have a hub in Europe, a European hub in Romania that's planting churches all over Europe. 21 churches are going to be planted. Is that crazy? Because of the faithfulness of those here. So I just want to take a moment to say, man, church planning is so important and remind us that it's important to us because it was important to them because that's how you show the gospel. Now let's get to the new truth about Jesus. It says that he has a sharp two-edged sword. So what's he got, a holster or what is he carrying it on his side? No, that's not it. It's used two times in these verses to this church. It's used five times this analogy Jesus with a sword in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, if you're looking, you can see that it comes out of his mouth, so that gives us the indication of what's the sword. Hint, hint, hint. It's the truth. And so it's like a sword that comes out of his mouth, and so Jesus was the word that became flesh, is the word that we have before us, and so his word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the, devoint, to the joint of marrow, to the division of joint and marrow. 
and it pierces the heart and soul. That, that's God's word. That's why we spend so much time. If you're joining us online, love to have you here at one of our locations all over Chicagoland. But we like to preach God's word because this is what's going to help us to grow. Boy, I just thought that'd be a good spot for you guys to say yes. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Don't do it after you missed it. <laughs> but, but that's important. And so this sharp two-edged sword, it comes out of Jesus. It's his word. And then it says in Revelation chapter 19, which you get there, and it says that it's going to strike down the nations. So for all of us who have the justice gene, do you know what I mean by that? Like you're just, your blood starts to boil over what you see in our world. And you say, how could that happen? And how could he do that? And how could they do this? And, and that's so wrong. And that group of people is treated this way. That person did. If you've got the justice gene, Jesus is going to strike down the nations. We got to have the faith to give it to him because he's the one that's going to make things right in the end. And he does it with the word of his mouth. So what we can deduce by this one thing, this is why I love these letters. We learn about Jesus. I should just do a series on that. Just what we learn about Jesus. This is saying that Jesus, through his word, gives life or death. Through his word. He gives life and death to you, spiritually speaking. If we submit ourselves to his word. So, that's the proclamation that he's making to us. So now there's a praise. That's, we got to get to that. I'm going a little slow here. We got to get moving. There's a praise to applaud. But we don't got anything going. Is who the Bears playing? I don't even know. Are they playing? Is it today? Okay, what time? Two o'clock? Twelve? You're not going to see it. Just get on your recorder right now and just hit the button. So, okay, so listen. So this is the thing, though. What's funny about this is the praise to applaud. It's not funny because it's really serious because there's two things that this church gets praised for. Remember, Pergamum is, they're praised for two things. But first, we've got to set the table. And so that's why we're going to look at the beginning of verse 13. I know where you dwell. So think about it this way. I know where you're living. God knows your address. God knows where you live. God knows what's going on in your house. God knows what went on yesterday. And he says, where Satan's throne is. And so what's happening in this verse is it's setting the context. This is Pergamum was a city that was devoted to Greek gods. And so just like we have a Starbucks on every corner in Chicago, they had a Starbucks, no, not on every corner. They had a pagan worship facility, for lack of a better word, an altar to all these different gods. And so here's a listing quickly. Not going to go through all of them, but these are the gods that were worshipped in this city. And so Athena, the goddess of wisdom and warfare, and Asclepius, the Greek god of healing, and if you've ever, the Greek god of medicine. And so if you look at um, the symbol even today for the medical symbol is what? It's like this staff with What's on it? Two serpents, two snakes? That, that's from this. And, and then there's this Dionysius, and that's the god of drunkenness. And I hate to say, but some of you worship that god in college. That, that wasn't good, but Zeus, the god of all gods. And 
Caesar, um, let's stop here because remember we've been talking about context. If you're new with us, the people had to bow their knee to Caesar and confess him as Lord. And you had, you had to do that or you would face punishment. And so, so this city, they had the first temple that was built in 29 BC. I mean, we're you know, way beyond that now. And so this is the place where it originated, where they worshiped the pagan emperor, Caesar. And so that's, these are the gods that they worshiped. So that's the backdrop. This is the praises. Two praises. We'll come back to the verse. You hold fast to my name. And so hold fast is this idea that I'm, I'm going to grab hold of something, I'm never going to let it go. It's, it's what you do with your five-year-old when you're crossing the street. You just grab his hand because you know he's going out and I, I want to protect him. And, and then what did they do? They, they didn't deny. That means that they stood up, that they think of it this way. It's like I, I, somebody starts trash talking your alma mater. What do you do? Like, what are you talking about? Like, no. And you defend it. And so... They were praised for holding fast to Jesus' name. Doesn't say the church's name, doesn't say the denomination's name, it just says Jesus' name. And that's what we want to hold on to. We're not holding on to anything but Jesus' name. And then what? It's, he didn't deny the faith, man. I stood up for the faith in the face of all this opposition. And, and so my faith, I love the personal pronouns here, it says so much that Jesus is saying, hey, this is mine. What I have, I give to you. This is the faith we have in him. It's a gift, and it's personal. And, and, and so this just tells you how bad it was. Antipas was faithful, and he was killed. Tradition tells us that he was buried alive inside a brass bull. That's how bad things were. So why was this happening? Well, two times we see the enemy listed, two times in this letter, four times in these letters. So we got to put our spiritual glasses on and say that any opposition that you're facing when it comes to Jesus and the gospel is driven by the enemy. When there's opposition in our world that you're facing even at work or a relational situation in your home, that the enemy, we have to have, this isn't this isn't a battle against flesh and blood, right? This is a battle against the heavenly forces. Like there's a, there's a battle going on. We got to put our spiritual glasses on and recognize that, that there is an enemy in this world that is opposed to what God, who he is and what he wants to do. And so we've got to be in tune to that. Now, I'm not blaming the enemy. Well, that's why I did that. I'm just saying that the enemy has, he knows you because he's studying you and he knows how you're going to respond and the enemy wants to divide, disguise, deceive, and destroy. That's the enemy we face. I love how C.S. Lewis says it. He, he says there's no neutral ground in the universe. He's saying that every square inch, every split second, it's claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Don't you... Don't you agree? That, that I love how it's saying because it's talking about the fact that God claims it first. This is God's, but then the enemy comes in. And he's looking again to disguise and deceive and divide and destroy, even in the church. And so they're praised. 
that they, they were faithful, but then there's a problem, and that's what happens in the majority of these letters. There's a problem to solve. What was the problem? Well, Jesus is looking at him saying, hey, guys, you could improve, man. You got an issue, and I want to help you solve it. In verses 14 and 15, this is what the issue is. I got a few things against you, and it has to do with some false teaching that has entered into the church. It's like if we let some people come in to the stage and proclaim some false teaching, if we let some people in your small group and just uh, give some false teaching, some things that were not doctrinally true, then it's infiltrated the church. It was happening. Well, what was it? Well, some were holding to the teaching of Balaam. And so that doesn't mean much to us today, but if you look back in Numbers chapter 21 through 24, don't have to do it now, but Balaam was a false prophet. He was actually, let me just say it like this, he prostituted his gifts for money. Sold out, man. Led the people astray. He got the king of Moab, that's who this guy is, Balak, and he fooled him, hook, line, and sinker. And he was financing this. And, and so he was causing the followers of God to do what? To stumble. He put a stumbling block. Now let's just dig into this in its original language. Stumbling block, two words in English, come from two different Greek words. New Testament's written in Koine Greek. Each of those words, they both mean this. It's the idea of imagine something, a rock in front of me or something, a chair, and I just trip over it and I fall. That's what it means to stumble. But this Greek word is unique because it talks about what you do. I don't know, you ever had a mouse in your house? Nobody's had a mouse in their house. In your garage? You don't want to admit that you got a mouse in the house. That's the truth. But when you get a mouse in the house, what you do is you get the trap. Anybody seen those traps? And you pull it like this, and you put the cheese in there. And, and then you're trying to, what? You're trying to bait them in. And then don't you love it? And you get up the next morning, and oh, there he is. He's dead. Now, some of you don't like that. Well, it should be a trap, and then we can let him run free. Please. But you're baiting the mouse like you're baiting a fish. And what was happening here is... is is the teaching and what they were saying was baiting the people to compromise their faith. And so they're real specific about what was happening here. It may not directly be what we do, the first one, eat food sacrificed to idols. They were having a problem because all this pagan worship, and then they're going to this feast, and this was worshiped at the pagan temple, and now they're having a roast beef sandwich. It's like, whoa, this is what's going on here, and there's a hot dog over here, and you're just like, hey, I want a Chicago style, and they're like, no, that was actually at this temple over here, and, and that's, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're worshiping Zeus by eating that. You're like, whoa, what's going on? Hold on. Th that's what was happening. And so it was providing confusion. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 14, that we don't want to put a stumbling block in front of a believer that sometimes I'm going to choose not to exercise my, my freedom in Christ for the benefit of my brother. So that, this is what's going on. And then this one, it's clear as day. The, the next thing is like some people were making compromises is that there was sexual morality. I don't think I have to define that. Oh, yes, I think I do in our culture. See, the Bible teaches that marriage is between a man and a woman, and the Bible teaches that, that what? That sex outside of marriage is not God's plan. And so, if we're honest, we, we've made compromises in a lot of areas, right? Speak truth today. 
and, and we made compromises and, and we all make compromises and, and there was people in the church who believed what God wanted and what his word said, but they were compromising and they were being led astray. People were putting a stumbling by, hey, it's okay. What's compromise? Compromise is when you blur the line between truth and what's happening and the truth of God's word. And, and so then there's this other group that, well, some of you have been holding to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, and what was that? They were mentioned in the first letter. You can see them in the letter to Ephesus. Again, we don't know anything about them. All we know is that they were putting a stumbling block. I think that's a key for us in the church today, that there's people who put stumbling blocks in front of unbelievers. There's people who put stumbling blocks in front of believers. There's people, there's stumbling blocks that what? That are there that we got to get over, that we can't get tripped up on. Can I get an amen? amen. And all kinds of different ones. And that's, that's compromise. So compromise is, is that I, I blur the line. And so it's okay to compromise. It's a good idea to compromise in the workplace that, you know, it's like, hey, I, I, I want to compromise to make this deal happen. Maybe you're in the home market right now and your carpet, you know, it's like put an offer and man, this home market is crazy. And, and you make compromise so that you can get the deal. It, it's great there. Compromise is, is good in politics. I wish there was more. It's like, hey, you know what? Well, we're this side. We'll, we'll, we'll do this and, and come together and let's actually do some good. Hey, compromise is even good in your, with your neighbor. Hey, you know what? Your tree, it's kind of um, coming over on my property. We've got this fence and... It's kind of coming over, and I don't really like raking your leaves. And so I'm going to cut that unless you do something. And just talking about what happened between me and my neighbor a month ago. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He actually cut the tree down. It was awesome. I'm like, yeah. Didn't even have to have the conversation. But there's compromises in business, there's compromises in politics, there's compromising with your neighbor but there shouldn't be compromises in our faith. And, and that's what's happening is we're compromising things in our faith and it's causing us to stumble. And, and so what's the compromise? Well, again, the, the compromise is when we take a step back or we take a step sideways and we deny the faith, we deny the truth. Here's three compromises that we as Christians can't afford to make. It has to do with the gospel. Hopefully this is helpful to you. The first one is this, that we can't compromise the message of the gospel. Salvation. Hey, it's a message of grace. It's not a message of works. For we are saved by faith, not works. It's through faith, by grace. Like that's the message of the gospel. And it's a message of sin that... that the scripture that was just up here says, for the wages of sin is death. And so you can't understand the solution without grabbing hold of the problem. The problem is that we miss the mark. Anybody miss the mark? I miss the mark on God's standard. So this isn't about one specific thing. It's about all kinds of things. Man, I miss the mark on God's best for me. And so we recognize the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, it's eternal life in his son. That is the message of the cross. And then the purpose of the gospel is sanctification, that we would be holy. The scripture says, for I am holy, 
So God wants you to be holy, that he set you apart for his purposes, for his plan. Not that you're never gonna, you're gonna be perfect and you're never gonna fail, but that as you continue to grow in Christ, that, man, the same things you struggled with become less of a struggle now than they were before. Or at least you may not have total victory, but you've broken the chain and you have recognition of the problem so that you can grow. That's the purpose of the gospel. It's not a future thing to get to heaven. It's right now. God wants to have an impact in your life. God wants the best version of you. Isn't that awesome? He wants you to be the best that you can be, and he's going to help you to achieve that. And then last, the cost of the gospel. Hey, I'd be lying if I told you up here, you know what, it's all good. It's so easy. And Hey, just hold on. We like to say it like this. The gospel, embracing the gospel is simple. It's as simple as a child can understand it. At an early age, maybe you were one of those people that, man, as a little kid, I, I embraced the recognition that I was doing some things wrong, and so I embraced Jesus. It's simple enough for a child to get, but it's not easy because it's a life of what? Of sacrifice, that I'm going to give some things up for the greater good of the gospel, that no no gain without some pain that Jesus gave it all that I'm going to make some sacrifices. He's the one that said that if anything come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow after me. Hey, you don't give everything up all at once. You just start recognizing. Isn't it true? If you recognize this in the Christian life, that you start giving up the stuff that you thought was so good that ain't that good. And there's better stuff to come that he convinces you and he changes the desires of your heart. That's the truth of the gospel. And so these are the things we can't afford to forget. We can't afford to compromise when it comes to the gospel, the message, the purpose, and the cost. And so that's what they were praised for, that they didn't deny, that they didn't do this. There was a problem. And what was the problem? That they were making compromise. But God doesn't leave us there. He gives us the plan. And so... I wish I could say there was a plan that was different. I'm going to introduce the plan with one word. It's in the text. We'll put it up on the screen. You can read it for yourself. That's the plan. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Let's say it together. Repent. That's the plan. I mean, that's it. There's nothing new. It's like we've got to repent of the compromise that we're making. And so let's slow down and and get this because it comes up. It comes up a lot in these letters. Six times in seven letters, it says repent. Twelve times in the book of Revelation, it says repent. Nearly 50 times in the New Testament, metanoia, the Greek word, repent. And so it's important. So, so I've said it. I think you get it. I think you understand. But let's understand what it is in terms of compromise. That, that repentance literally means, the Greek word literally means to agree with God. So I, I've said that like, almost in every message. It's going to come up again. So I'm trying to write it on your heart that I agree with God. I think the same way with God. And so the thing that I'm doing that's compromising my faith, I think the same way as God does. And you know what? Honestly, even for my own life, you know what the truth is? You know why we don't experience enough change in our Christian life? Do you know why? Because we don't agree with God. What we're doing is wrong. We, We just don't. And even myself, in my mind, is that, do I really believe and am I saying the same thing about that as God does? But we play these mind games and we play these games with ourselves. And, well, that's not really that clear and that's, that's not really defined and I can go this far and that's really not this. And 
And, and, and I, I'm just saying to you that, that when I do that, I just there's a red flag that goes up in my mind and I just think I'm compromising. I think that's the times when I got to really listen to spirit and, and we got to repent. I was on, uh, this was a while ago, but I've, I haven't forgotten it. I was, I was speaking over at Moody um, at their, the, the chapel thing they were doing. And so you're on the campus at Moody, right downtown Chicago. And I leave, I'm getting in my car, and there's these guys with the box, and they're standing, they're on the campus at Moody, right out there. And they got the signs and the megaphones, and they're shouting, repent, repent. And I'm just thinking to myself, really? Like, they don't know that, these people that are studying at this Christian college? <laughs> I'm thinking maybe you ought to go you know, a little farther down into the city. And I mean, do they really need the message repent? And, and I thought to myself, yeah, we do. Because it's not just the message for those who want to become Christians. It's the message for those who are Christians. That, that we got, yeah, let's praise the Lord. That, that we, get, we just can't, you can't fall for it. We got to still repent. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. And D.L. Moody said that repentance is like a tear in the eye of faith. And so maybe we're not crying enough because we're not agreeing enough that what God's saying and what we're doing are not the same. And we're justifying things that we shouldn't justify. And I'm not just giving that message to you. I've given it to me. So, that's it. Let's repent. We're going to do something in our church that we have never done in 22 years. And so, um, I told the church, some of you know I was just at Wheaton. That's a church 100 years, over 100 years old. I said, you haven't never done this in 100 years. They're like, what? And so I'm like, we're going to take communion. And like, well, we do that all the time. I, I bet you never did it in the message while the pastor's still preaching before the worship team comes up and leads us. Yeah, so go ahead. Ushers are going to come down right now, and we're going to take communion. We're going to do it this way. It's coming right in the middle. And so you're going to get a cup. The plate's going to pass by. You're going to get the cup, which represents the bread and the body that was given to you. Go ahead, guys. Just start passing it out. And so this is like for you to do not right away, don't take it immediately, but take it and hold on to it because we're going to repent of some compromise. And so the bread represents the body that was broken. The cup represents the blood that was shed. And so you say, boy, this is a bit of an interruption. We've never kind of done it like this. And before you get going, hold on. It's like, whoa, 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 this is good. Yeah, guess what? The cross is an interruption, is it not? Come on, praise the Lord. The cross is an interruption to our lives. The cross is an eruption of our faith that what? That, that Jesus gave us all. And so I trust that by the time that the worship set is done at the end, the closing song, that you've taken some time to look into your own heart and do some self-examination. And so this is for Christians. It's not for non-Christians. You say, I'm not a Christian. I'm saying, can I not take it? No, become a Christian right now. All you got to do is confess your sin. All you need to do is repent. And, and, and the forgiveness that Jesus gave you is available. Well, I don't know what to repent of. I'm so glad you asked that question while we're taking communion so randomly right now. Let me give you a few ideas. Eight Christian compromises worthy of repentance. You might want to slow down for a moment. 
The first one is this, repent for clinging to old attitudes, behaviors, and biases. Jody and I, we pulled in at 1.30 last night at our house, and we were at O'Hare, and the flights, and we're here and there, and I hate O'Hare. Is anyone else with me? I, I just, thank you for that applause, and I, I get on a bus, and I don't know what we're going, what's this bus? Like, I, I felt like the bus to my car was in Wisconsin. I'm like, what is going on? And, and so I, if you just saw me walking through the parking lot at 1 a.m. last night, you're like, is that a pastor? And Jody's grabbing my hand. She's like, you know, I mean, you know, you got to change your attitude a bit. And, and I, I need to do it. I'm clinging to old attitude and things that didn't work out and old behaviors and old biases. Number two, I mean, repent for defending mistakes and misdeeds and misbehavior. You know, we're justifying things. And, well, I did it because of this. And, I mean, I know about you, but that's enough right there, man. It's like, okay, let's go. <laughs> How about this? Repent for expecting Christian beliefs and practices from non-Christians. We villainize unbelievers, the church does. We expect the world to change that doesn't have the power to change. You're expecting change in your own family with maybe your spouse who's an unbeliever or maybe with your child who isn't fully walking with God. They don't have the power to change. Am I speaking truth? You can't expect regenerate behavior from unregenerated hearts. Hey, guess what? I'm not surprised at what's going on in San Francisco. I'm not surprised at how they're living in New York. I'm not surprised at what's going on in downtown Chicago. I'm not surprised at what's happening here in neighborhood. Nothing is going to surprise me. Why? Because we don't have the power to change. And apart from God, we don't have a desire to please him. How, how about this? Repent for marrying Jesus in politics. I could literally go off for the next 25 minutes. I won't. Let me choose my words carefully. Jesus is not Republican. Did you know that? Jesus is not a Democrat either, though. Did you know that? He's not. We've been saying this from the beginning of the church, and it's so much division. We're not about politics, man. We're about people, because that's what Jesus was. Hey, hey, you know what? Bring your Bible into, your, into the polling place, you know? Not your political affiliation. I, Jesus, you know what he would say? He'd say, give Caesar what is Caesar's. You know what I'd say? Give Biden what's Biden. Give Trump what's Trump. I'm not saying not be involved. I'm not saying not be an activist. I'm just saying let's divorce our, this idea that Jesus is somebody who he's not. Fifth thing. Repent for shrinking back when it comes to biblical principles and convictions. I can feel the people tuning off online right now and leaving the church. Oh. We just shrink back. Repent. Like we need more. Let's just keep going quickly. Repent for using the Bible as a hammer rather than a mirror for myself. Repent. Repent for holding a grudge and refusing to forgive. Jody and I were at O'Hare because... We just did a marriage conference in Birmingham, Alabama and with a friend of mine in this church and oh man, these uh, many couples and, and, and we're telling them, man, it, it's about forgiveness, like that relationship that, that you've got to forgive for trust to be rebuilt. It, forgiveness. It, and and no, no, forgiveness is not, forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is remembering without the pain and God can get you there through the cross. 
Maybe that's a message for us. Repent. For, I don't know, maybe I, whatever it is. So I'm going to invite the worship team forward. And we're going to end with the promise. And I love this promise that we can claim. And good stuff today at church? Yes. Taking communion together. It says to the one who conquers, that's those of you in Christ, it says you get some hidden manna. And so the hidden manna, what's interesting about the hidden manna is that it was what the Israelites got in the wilderness. Remember, it came down from heaven because they were compromising. And they wandered for 40 years. And they were compromising. God still provided for them, just like he's providing for us. And, and what it says in John chapter 6 is the hidden manna for us, hidden for them was that they kept some of the manna in the ark as a remembrance of what God provided for you and I today, the hidden manna, you're holding it in your hand. Jesus is the bread of life. That's what John 6 says, that his body was broken so that I could be forgiven. And that his blood was shed so that my old behaviors and attitudes, man, they could just die. And that I can experience new life. And this is the time, if you haven't taken it yet, whenever you're ready, this is the time when, man, it, this is the best because the Bible says if you, for, he, if you confess your sin, he forgives you of all your sin and cleanses you of all unrighteousness. So this is the holiest point that you are right now. All unrighteousness if you repent. And his spirit is full as we're going to worship him. And then he says, man, this is the best. It's like, he says, I'm going to give you a stone. And so the stone, it's a white stone, which is a heavenly symbol. But in those days when you got a stone, you got the stone because either you were an athlete that won the race. They'd give you a stone, white stone. They give you a stone when you were a slave and you became free and you were now a citizen and you had a problem. What are you, you don't have papers. I, I, you pull out the stone. No, I'm a citizen. I'm free. The, the stone was given to the warrior after he returned from battle and he was victorious and he gave it his all for the cause that he was fighting for and they gave him a stone and that stone was a reminder that I, I have victory. And so you've been given a stone. It's a reminder that you are free. You've been given a stone that I, man, I can claim victory. You've been given a stone, and it says about this stone, I just love the Bible. Because it just reveals so much. It says there's a new name written on it for you. I don't know it. You, you, the person sitting next to you doesn't know it. Like Jesus has picked out a new name for you, man. Isn't that awesome? He's got just some nickname, some special way he's going to refer to you. I can hardly wait to well, hear what he says about me. But, but he's got something that he wants to say to you. And I, what I find fascinating is no matter what your spiritual heritage is, for Jody and I, we're the first Christians in our family. For some of you, there's a long history. I, pastor Al's sitting here, and his dad was a pastor, and his dad, and just a long history of gospel preachers. No matter what, how much knowledge you have of the Bible, you will never stop learning something about Jesus. And you're never going to stop learning something about yourself because he's going to give you a stone. When you're ready, stand. Father, I just ask for your spirit to fill us.
I pray for us to worship you. I pray for us to confess your name. I pray for us to be free from compromise. 